Podcasting from anywhere other than a jail cell, this is Soberholic, a podcast created to encourage, equip, and inspire you to overcome your hurts, habits, and hangups. And now, your show hosts, Roger and Jason. Welcome back, Soberholics. I'm in studio with Roger Bose, not pronounced Boaz, as is it might appear. But today, as promised, we're going to be talking about 12 steps and how it's a discipleship model for all Christians. But first, this message. Hey guys, Roger here. We just want to say thank you for all your support, your encouraging words through email, through text, through phone calls, your prayers. All of those have supported us very much. But we still want to reach more people. One way that we can do that is through iTunes reviews. The best way for us to get our show to more people is for you to share your reviews about our show with others and leave us a review. And then go to SoberholicPodcast at gmail.com and let us know that you did it. And if you do that, then we'll send you a free copy of my ebook, Soberholic, 12 Steps Later, is a way of saying thank you. Jason, today I learned something about you as I was pulling into the parking lot of the, the church here today. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, do, do you have any idea what it is? Well, the only thing in the parking lot is my car. So it, it does have to do with your car. <laughs> Not that it has like a light missing on the front of it or, or anything like that, but it has to do with something on the back of the car. What? The little Jesus fish symbol. Oh, yeah. I kind of, you know, that was inherited. I did not go out and buy one of those and go, yay, Jesus fish, and put it on my car. So it came with the car or it like came it was with passed down from generation to generation? <laughs> yeah. it's This is a Crown Vic, too. So I drive a white Crown Vic. So whenever I pull into a gas station late at night, it's like cockroaches flying everywhere. They think I'm a cop. <laughs> Everybody turns their head all the time when I'm driving this thing around. It's kind of fun. Here's what I thought about: whenever when 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 you have this Jesus fish, or if you have this the bumper stickers that says "I love my church" and whatever your church may be, or there's several other Christian symbols that we put on our bumpers, which are good, right? Yeah, yeah, they're good. I mean, we use them to witness, but I, I've never used one on my vehicle because. I realize that we use them when we witness because I'm the guy who will drive down the interstate, listen to praise and worship music with her hands up and, you know, just getting all into it. And then you cut me off and then I say some words to you that usually are not, (laughs) you know, in tongues. It's just it's not good. Right. Yeah. I mean, I know I know what you mean. I mean, but nobody's perfect. You know, I mean, I, I think that. You know, anybody who is a Christian long enough, if they're honest, they, you know, don't matter how how long you've walked with the Lord or not, you know, you still do things that are not right. You still sin. I think that that's kind of part of our whole 12-step program, if you will, and why we believe that it can be a valuable disciple, um, disciple building tool, if you will. The, a Christian model for the twelve steps is that if you if you look at it from a Christian perspective, we're always dealing with stuff, and that means that we're always stripping some garbage out of our lives, some stuff that maybe doesn't look so pretty to Jesus. It, it, it's probably the best way I could say that. And and the word we use for that is sanctification. 
What would you say sanctification um, is? It may be in not so many words. Yeah, so I'm going to use, you know, just a simple definition of it, but sanctification is just becoming more like Christ. You know, it's getting rid of all the things that hinder us in our walk, and that can be baggage, that can be hurts, habits, and hang-ups, that can be addictions, sins, all those things that keep us from being more like Christ is getting rid of those. And the reason why that I think both of us believe that the 12 steps is a good model for discipleship is because it's a process. And just like sanctification is a process. And we also see that, you know, the 12 steps themselves, you know, they originate from biblical principles. Wouldn't you agree? I, I, well, it's not that I disagree, but yes, I believe that. Um, most of the time, we we kind of put those back into the AA realm that they're just for those alcoholics or maybe NA that they're for drug you know drug addicts. But really, even before them, they had the the Christian roots, if you will, and they started with the Oxford group who kind of believed in these four absolutes, and I'm definitely no expert when it comes to all this, but they believed in like purity and honesty, and I think it was unselfishness and maybe love, and everything they did was built on on this, and they were trying to get rid of sin in their lives in, in, in different ways, and I think that if you look at it from today's perspective, the 12 steps hold a lot of credibility in the medical field, even in the, the Christian realms and in the churches. We see that in, you know, just with the Celebrate Recovery Ministries we talk a lot about here. This is in like 30,000 churches today. And so we see that the model itself is beneficial. And if you go to even a secular rehab nowadays, I mean, you work the first three steps and then 28 days later, they send you, they, they give you a big book and they send you packing and they say, hey, go find meetings. You know, so this, it's still seen as, as, you know, the most credible and the, you know, the highest success as far as achieving, um, sobriety, you know, when you, when it comes to dealing with drugs and alcohol. But I think it can be applied and, you know, to, to everyday life situations too, and and other hurts, habits, hangups, and addictions, and even people in um, AA will even say that hey, the twelve steps can benefit anybody who works them. I was uh, serving at a church, and the senior pastor before I brought a celebrate recovery ministry to that church, and started um, as the ministry leader there myself. He shared with me a story, and he talked about a young lady who had came to the altar and prayed. Um, there was some things going on in her life that she just was having a really t- tough time with. And um, he he got there on the altar with her and prayed. And he said, "Roger, I, I understand there there's power in prayer, and we both agreed to that." And you know, he was trying to preface this statement he was making to me. He's like, "But there's got to be more." to be able to give someone when they're going through this issue in their life to be able to help them through it. And that's where I believe these steps fit in, to know that whatever you're going through, that there's a practical way of working through it. It's not just a hope and a wish. And I'm not discounting prayer, just like that pastor said when he talked to me, but there's a way of of kind of working through that in a way 
that's maybe logical because that's kind of the way my brain works sometimes. Yeah, because there's some issues, you know, that are either so deep rooted within you um, or they're just so complex that you need a process that's, you know, mapped out in a logical way. And that's why I have found the 12 steps so helpful in my life. Because oftentimes the problem that we see is not the problem that's really going on. Right. It's usually something that's much deeper, and the the the, the outside issue is just that. It's just on the surface. And so that's what we're going to look at for the next few weeks as we begin kind of unpacking these steps. We thought it was important to kind of look at these individually, and the only way that we knew to do this was to kind of make this a series Uh, of episodes here and today we're going to be focusing on the first three steps and how they can can be applied to your life and be used in a way that makes sense if you're like me um, you have to kind of dig in and make sense out of anything and that's kind of how my whole journey started I pulled into an AA meeting for the very first time I saw these steps and it was inside of a car. It was like a 2000 Model Eclipse. And it was had a busted up hood where I literally drove through a house. That was my second house. <laughs> second. I think we've talked about that before. Yeah, I think we talked about that on Yeah, here. I've hit multiple houses in, in my lifetime. <laughs> they just jump right out there in front they of do. you. They do. They do all they the time. They'll get right on you in a quick minute. <laughs> uh, but I, I saw there inside that meeting for the first time these words. And it's step one. It said, we admitted we were powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors that our lives had become unmanageable. And there's actually uh, a verse that goes along with that as well. And it says, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Romans seven eighteen. And I pulled in and I saw this with my busted up hood And I saw that maybe my life was powerless because I had tried to quit drinking and doing drugs so many times in so many ways. And I kept going to jail and I'd lost everybody around me. But to say my life was unmanageable, I just had a hard time with that because I was still making money. I could pay my bills. There was just some manageability, I thought, in my life. Oh yeah, I mean, you were justifying it and that's what that's what we all do when we you know, are trying to hold on to those things that are enslaving us, those hurts, habits and addictions, you know, we want to we want to hang on to them because that's the way we, you know, I later found out after working the steps that drugs and alcohol wasn't my problem. You know, I I I was using drugs and alcohol as a coping mechanism. And, um, you know, the, the 12 steps helped me to identify that. And also it helped me to develop healthy coping mechanisms. But, you know, admitting you're powerless is that's the hardest thing. You know, it's incredibly hard, you know, because we we want to be in control. And especially as a man, you know, you're you're kind of a lot of a lot of men are taught as they're growing up, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, just man up, just be a man. All those things that we're kind of ingrained with. I don't know if so much nowadays that they're being ingrained with that, but you know, I was and you know, you you want to think 
that you can just do it yourself. And so any kind of problem that you have in life or any kind of issues that you're dealing with, you you want to think that you can handle it yourself. And that's why it's so hard to admit that you're powerless or to admit that your life is unmanageable is because it hurts your pride. It hurts your ego. Or, or like you said from the beginning, we justify it. And my mother, bless her heart, and she probably listens to these. <laughs> my mom does too. Hey, mom. <laughs> hey, mom. She um, she was the, the world's best codependent that I can count of a couple of times before I would make it to the to the jail where they were fixing to book me in. I would call her, and she would like almost beat the cops there to bail me out. Mm. And she would say that she couldn't let that happen to me, that, you know, for whatever reason, I was the only child. And I don't know what all went through her mind, but she would always bail me out. And so for me, there never was a a reason to change. I always kept doing what I was doing because I knew mama would bail me out. I'm not blaming any of myself on my mother. What I, The point I'm making is that she could always say, well, I'm doing this because I love him. I don't want him to see in jail and, and do these things. I think that we we can always find ourselves in a way of justifying whatever we're doing. You know, maybe it's eating the food that we're eating. It's okay. I think we've we've hit this a few times on our on our shows. But when we were running a lot, I could eat whatever I wanted to because I was running. That's the way I justified it. You had no consequences. Exactly. And sometimes it's good to to feel the consequences and. If our if you're listening to this today and you're feeling the pain, you're feeling the fire of whatever you're sitting on, maybe it's consequences of some choices that you've made. I tell my son this all the time. There's always a consequence to your choice. Sometimes it's not necessarily a bad consequence, but there's always something that's going to happen out of any choices you make. Right. And I think that, you know, pain is the motivator. You know, I, I think it was... The co-founder of AA who said pain is the touchstone of all spiritual growth. And for me, I'm not going to work on myself if there's no pain. You know, that's what's motive. You know, that's what motivated me originally, you know, to seek out um, help and to even work the 12 steps is because I was in so much pain from the consequences of my addictions and my actions and the choices that I was making. And so, you know, that pain is what got me to the to the place where I was ready to admit that I was actually powerless and to take a real honest look at my life and my actions and go, man, I, I'm out of control. You know, I don't I don't have control over my addiction. And so if you find yourself there, maybe it's not drugs and alcohol, maybe it's something else. You know, if you find yourself today in pain over, you know, a habit or a hurt or a hang up or, you know, a relationship that's not going good, you know, then that you're in a good place because the pain will help you to admit that you're powerless and that it's unmanageable. That's almost the cry I hear from Paul in the verse that we read about earlier. He says, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I, I cannot carry it out. And that's where I found myself with the drugs and the alcohol is constantly wanting to quit but couldn't quit. That's how I found myself with weight loss. I mean, I want to lose it, but I just can't do it. Or at least that's how I find myself. It's a it's a yo-yo, up and down, up and down. And 
multiple things in my life have been that way. When I first uh, started in recovery, in, in Christian recovery, and I made that transition kind of more from just doing secular over into um, completely just mainly, mainly always doing Christian recovery, my pastor had asked me to go to a pastor's conference and talk to them about this new ministry in the area, and we were launching a Celebrate Recovery meeting. It was the first one in our area, like, forever that I know mm-hmm. of. It was a 45-minute drive for the next one. And I said, I can't go to your your conference and talk to all these. It was an association meeting. Yeah, conference yeah. probably isn't the word to use. But it was an association meeting with a lot of local churches. And so I can't talk there because I still cussed like a sailor, man. <laughs> I was afraid what was going to come out of my mouth. And I've done better with that over the years, but I still find myself cussing from time to time. You know, I don't want to, but I, I still do it. And I think that if our listeners are true to themselves, they could see some things that they deal with as well. And so if we're going to run this ideal of sanctification, of of trying to become more like Christ, as you said earlier, then we want to remove that stuff from our language and even from our hearts. And so so much of what we deal with as Christians or, or unbelievers is it's locked up inside of us that we've never told anybody. And it's just a silent hurt that we deal with. But we've got to realize that we can't fix it on our own. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, the main point of, of step one is surrendering, is admitting those things, is, is admitting that I can't do it. And, you know, and then that can be a process. That can be a long process. Some, you know, a lot of times people don't do step one overnight. Um, you know, it took me a while to realize I was powerless. It took a lot of pain and and a lot of suffering before I came to that place where I was willing to admit that I was powerless. I think the only thing you do have power over in this is your ability to to choose to surrender. You know, I, I think there is a, a proper use of your willpower, and that's just to surrender and 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 to give it over to the Lord. And um, you know, I think that brings us to our second step, um, which is we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And the scripture that goes along with that is, "For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose." Philippians two thirteen came to believe that a power greater than ourselves. So you admit that you're powerless. You realize that I can't. And then in step two, you realize that he can. But for us, the he is, of course, Jesus. And uh, but but even before you even get there, uh, I know both of us, you know, started in secular recovery, working these steps and just just getting to a place to where you know that the answer is not inside yourself was a long long journey a very long journey um i had so many resentments against god at that point in my life when i first had to face this step that's not where i wanted to look i wanted to look anywhere but there but I had just had to come to the point that I just knew I couldn't fix it. I had tried every way in the world to fix myself, and it just didn't work. But I was okay when I looked at step two to realize that 
if I couldn't fix myself, then there was no hope but to look outside of myself. And that's where I found hope. At this particular point in my life, it was not that I found Jesus here. It was that I, I, I simply was defeated saying that I could not do it myself. And in that, and with that thought, the only hope I had was to say someone, someone somewhere had to have the answers, whether it be the medical field, whether it be this Jesus that I was so resentful against, whether it be an, an AA meeting step, um, whatever, something had to, to do it better than me. Yeah, and that was, that was the same way it was for me. I remember I had no job, and I was struggling to stay sober, and my mom was letting me live with her for a little while, and I would just sit in my room all day trying to think of how I could get myself out of this whole situation. You know, I had been in trouble with the law. I had court cases all piled on each other, and I was really convinced that that I could just figure it out, like that I was smart enough to beat this thing. And, you know, I kind of call it uh, paralysis of analysis. Like I got so consumed with trying to figure out that's all I did. I, I wasn't actually taking any action, you know, to, to do anything. And so I, I kind of just got stuck there for a while and, you know, believing the lie that I could fix myself and finally coming to the place to where I realized that, you know, I it, the answer was not in me. You know, that was, it took a long time. It took years to get there. Um, but when I finally did, it was a huge relief. And that was when I finally realized I had hope. When I first started working the steps is I saw people that had re- had recovery and had sobriety that I wanted. And so I said, well, I'm just going to do what these people are doing. And so I, I finally came to that point where I realized that, you know, the answer was out outside of myself and then, you know, continuing on in my journey that that answer is, you know, God and Jesus Christ and having a relationship with him. Regardless of our struggles, I think we all find ourselves in that point where maybe you're, you know, you're, you're depressed, you're laid up in your bed at night, um, just consumed with the thoughts of what you talked about of of just kind of going over in your head the what if scenarios of how it's all going to play out and how you can make it all work out and how everybody can be happy or maybe just yourself happy depends on which side of the spectrum you're on and it's all this way of control and we just want to control Mm -hmm. it all and if we're still there then we're still in step one right (laughs) we never got past step one we may have said we did step one but we didn't really do that and the saying goes is step one is the only step you have to do a hundred percent now that's not completely true i don't think but i believe in the sense of relapse is a hundred percent true sure if we if we don't do a good step one and we just kind of go through that motion because someone else told us that we were powerless and unmanageable, then the rest of these we probably won't grab a hold of. We have to realize that we are completely powerless on our own and that he can change us and that he can do what we cannot do ourselves. That's where we have to get to. And that's a hard thing to get to. You keep talking about pain being a motivator. 
I, I would tell any of our listeners, as bad as it may be, because there's no doubt I've heard too many stories from listeners that have passed our podcast off to someone else that's in a dark spot. As bad as it may seem right now, it can get worse. Oh, yeah. It can get much worse. And you're going, there's no way it could get any worse. Uh, fr- friends, I've, I blew my hand off. My my <laughs> right hand is missing off of my body, and that was not enough for me. I don't me. know why I laughed. It's not funny. <laughs> well, it is. You're just used to it now. Yeah, for, for us, uh, I mean, we, we have a lot of those talks, but... That it's really that bad that it can get much, much worse. Yeah, it can always get worse, but it doesn't have to. Exactly, because of the choice that you talked about. That's the really the only thing we have the power is to say that I can't, he can, and it's a matter of if we'll let him, right? Yeah, and that brings us to our third step, which says, we made a decision to turn our lives and our wills over to the care of God. And the scripture that goes along with that is, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And that's Romans 12.1. And this is where, you know, you you really decide, you know, to let, you know, God take you on this journey of the rest of the steps. I've heard it said that, you know, the first three steps— is just you deciding to do the rest of the steps, which is is more of the action steps that's involved from here on out. Some of your church members here may run you out after I say this, but we oftentimes as Christians, we will give our lives over to God. Uh, maybe maybe what I'm talking about here is an act of, of salvation where um, there's a song playing, maybe when you're playing in your invitations, or maybe it's the the preacher saying something and the Holy Spirit tugs on us and we make that profession of faith where we recognize who Jesus is and we, we give our life over to him. And so maybe our listeners here go, well, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I'm not talking about salvation here. You know, it goes on to say that and our wills. Mm. And that's yeah. where I think many of us struggle sitting in church pews, whether you're a pastor listening to this, oftentimes it's our will that we're not willing to give over. Yeah. And, you know, you want to be the director of your own show. You know, you want to be in control of your life. It feels good. It, that's just part of our sin nature to want to be in control of everything and trying to figure out, you know, the things that you are powerless over in your life and that are unmanageable. You know, when you figure those out, you know, giving that control over to God is a tough thing because I know, you know, I'm probably not the only one that does this, but a lot of times I'll give something over to God and I'll I'll let him have control of it. And then, you know, a month later, I'll realize I just took that back. And I didn't realize that I had just taken back control of that area of my life. You know, it's an it's an ongoing process. Is that where the song "Jesus Takes the Take yeah. the Wheel" comes from? <laughs> yeah, <he's, laughs> take the wheel. I take the wheel back. He takes it back. Yeah, fighting over the wheel. Always fighting over the wheel. Well, there's that illustration that talks about there's three uh, frogs sitting on a log. One makes a decision to jump. How many frogs do you have left on the log? And the answer to that is three. You know, because they they made a decision, but they didn't actually do it. I think that we come to a point where in our walks as Christians that we we want to do better, but we're not really ready to do better. We don't we're not willing to give our our will over to him. 
And that's hard to do, and that gets us into a lot of trouble is what it does, and it gets us into a lot of pain. And you know, the verse that, that goes along with this, it talks about that we're going to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is our true and proper worship. That's a mouthful. I mean, to me, that is like a heart check. What, what are you really trying to do? Oftentimes, we come to the Lord maybe in just a point of desperation because we're in so much pain, we just want the pain to go away. It's not in a heart of worship. It's, it's simply just get the monkey off my back. I've never... Well, let me let me back up and say it this way. I've I've oftentimes went to God that way. More times than not, I have went to God in that type of attitude until I, I, I began to see what this this third step is about. If I'm going to give my life and my will over to him, then sanctification takes on a new meaning in my life. Yeah, we we usually want to give our will over to God when our way blows up in our face. We don't want to just do it when just because that's our that's our proper worship and that's what we should do anyway. When even when things are going good, we should still be surrendering our will over. We only want to do it when our way just doesn't work at all, and then we find our ourselves all messed up, you know, as a result of a decision that we made. Then we go, okay, here, God, you can have this now. Right. Uh, David in one of the psalms he, he talks about and I'll paraphrase it and I'll, actually I'll just massacre it <laughs> he talks about search me oh God know my heart and point out anything in me that, that makes you unhappy mm-hmm. uh, something along those lines yeah. and I think if that was our cry um, as, as Christians or even unbelievers um, to look at that and go okay Lord what what in what am I doing that is not holy? What is the things that are are breaking your heart? What can I do better and begin working on those things? That's how I believe this is a discipleship model. Right. We can we can use these steps to overcome anything from the big things like the drugs and alcohol, uh, maybe the pornography, maybe it's. Um, even down to the smaller things that we would, if we were trying to classify, which I think sin, sin, we've said that many times. Yeah. But you look at things like codependency that look a lot like Christianity, even to the smaller things like, you know, cussing and that. Or gossip or any of those things that or, we, we, we typically don't see as real. You know, sins that have all these consequences, but they're still sins. Or just the foothold that we we allow Satan to have with the guilt and the shame that we we have in our lives. What if we were to work on those things? Yeah, or even even things like like grief, like a, like unresolved grief from a from a lost loved one in your life years ago, and you just never dealt with that. Or in a strange relationship of a family member that you have built resentments up over for years and years that you have just become powerless over um what you know what would it look like if you actually did something and you took action on that hurt or habit or that hang up so so wherever you are uh, when uh, as you're listening to this podcast what is it ask the lord pray to the lord and ask him to reveal you know what is it in my life that i'm powerless over what what addiction or a hurt or a habit or a hang up that i might have 
that is keeping me from having a better relationship with you and a more peaceful life. Um, you know, what, what, what is it that's given you pain, you know, in your life and, and ask him to reveal that to you. And if you don't have any pain in your life and you never dealt with pain in your life, then we would love just to get an email from you to, to show us what we're doing wrong. Yeah, we'll, we'll have you on as a guest on our show. <laughs> we would love to have you, you as can a teach guest us. to tell us how we're doing this all wrong <laughs> because I have just not had that experience in my life. And honestly, I've never met anyone who didn't have that experience in their life. And so as we continue through this over the next few weeks, then I want you to just kind of walk into it with this idea that that you'll have an open mind and an open heart as you begin to allow God to show you some of these things. Some of them may open up, you know, scabs that hurt really bad that you haven't thought about in a long time that you've you've kept hidden because you've tr- you've tried to hide them. You you've not wanted to really deal with them, and by doing this in a, in it may be a humble way of realizing that you don't have to have it all together. It's okay to take the mask off and to not be okay. Then you can begin to work these steps as we go through them. And I don't think that this is really something you'll be completed with after a few weeks of us doing this on here. Yeah, uh, this is not working the steps by listening to this. It, correct. There's no action involved right, in that. Yeah. But what it is is a general overview of how you can get connected and work these steps thoroughly yourself. And so that's kind of the, the hope and the prayer that, that I have for you, that you just keep an open mind. It's so easy to shut down and say, I don't have any problems, and and try to will yourself through this. And as we saw from step one, that's just really not the answer. It will uh, continue to get worse if you try to do it with your own power. So until next week, uh, uh, I hope that you all have a great week. And until then, I'm Roger. I'm Jason. And we're signing off. Thanks for listening to Soberholic with Roger and Jason. If you like the show and want to know more, check out SoberholicPodcast.com. Please remember to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next week, Soberholics.